Once I knew a young man who could never please his father. No matter what he did, he could not please him. Always received criticism. If he cut the grass, his father would point to the few blades of grass that were left, and not the entire lawn that was beautifully cut. If he cleans the garage, no matter how long he spent in cleaning the garage, no matter how much effort he puts into it, no matter what he has done, the father found something to complain about. When he brings home a card from school reporting card, and he would have five A's and one B+, his father would spend all of his time talking and harping about that B+, ignoring the five A's. As a result, of course, this boy grew up to be a man, and he thought of himself as a perpetual failure. Naturally, of course, this mindset stayed with him even after he became a Christian. He felt that he could never please the Lord. This young man began to see God like his father, that he could never please Him, nothing he can do to please God. And so, naturally, where people who have that kind of temperament, what they do, they go from spiritual high to spiritual lows. Uh, They go from height to burning and crashing. And so, when he is down and discouraged and falls into temptation and becomes disobedient as he down in those low times of his life, he would say, after all, the Bible said, it is impossible to please God. Of course, he misquoting the Bible completely. He is misquoting Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Here's what Hebrews 11, 6 said. Without faith, can you say without faith? Without faith. Those are two very important words. <laughs> it is impossible to please God. And I thought about this, and I wondered how many people are into religion, how many religious people who spend their life trying to please God, but they feel they can never please Him enough. I wonder how many who are laboring under a sense of failure because they feel that they cannot satisfy God. I think of Martin Luther, the great reformer, who ignited the Reformation in Europe. As a Dominican monk in the monastery, he was so overburdened with his sin and his unworthiness in trying to please God, he literally would go to the abbot of the monastery every hour on the hour for confession until the abbot just got tired of him and said, stop coming back, wanting to please God. But he couldn't until, of course, he read the Scripture, opened the Word of God, and realized that salvation by faith alone, that salvation is by grace alone. And then his life was transformed, and he ignited the Reformation in Europe. Today, as I look in the church of Jesus Christ across our country, they function without faith, as if faith is not important at all. They have a great program. They have good strategy. They have great techniques. They have good management skills. Yes, they might even have a great marketing program. But faith? Who needs that? Well, listen to what John said, 1 John 5, 4. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. Here's the secret of it. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. 
It is out of gratitude to God that we give of ourselves to Him. Not to buy His favor, but it's our way of expressing thanks. I want you to hear me right, please. Because the longer I live, the realize that Christians, and I'm talking about the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, can fall into two camps. I found there are those who live victoriously and those who live a defeated life. And the secret of victory, according to John, is a total trust in God, a complete confidence in His Word, an overpowering, unwavering belief in His promises, an unshakable obedience to His instructions. That's the difference. Even when it is not popular, even when it does not make human sense, even if the world call it illogical, even when we are mocked for it, even when we are ridiculed for it. And when I think of the condition of the church today, when I think of, of what is happening in the professing, among the professing Christians, think of the lack of faith, I think of the following statement, that they may be able to offer sacrifices like Cain, they weep like Esau, they serve like Gehaziah, they leave Sodom like Lot's wife, or they tremble like Felix. They may be disciples like Judas. They will take part in prayer like Korah. They may want to die a death of a righteous like Balaam. They may make long prayers like the Pharisees. They may even prophesy like King Saul. They may have lamps like the ten foolish virgins. They be seekers like the rich young ruler. They may almost be Christians like Felix and are lost. That's a sad reality. Lost and into religion without Christ. Two things I need to tell you about faith. Two things. First, there is no power in faith. The only power comes from the object of faith. And if the object of your faith is the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory alone, then you are a powerful Christian. Then you are a victorious Christian. Your faith is dynamic. Your faith is powerful. And your faith will move mountains if the object of your faith is the Lord Jesus. You see, there is no power in faith, but the power is where? The object of your faith. Secondly, I want to tell you that faith has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with how you feel. I want to tell you truthfully, as God my witness, listen, (laughs) if faith is dependent on what I see and what I hear and what I feel, I would be in bed this morning. I wouldn't have been here. Literally. Why would I get out of bed? But faith says, God said it, I believe it, and that sells it. And today in the book of Judges, chapter 7, we see Gideon's budding faith. Last time we saw him as doubtful, as a doubting man, as a distrusting man, feeling insecure and feeling full of doubt. But now, in this chapter, you see the faith is about to bud like a flower. He's about to trust the Lord. He's about to take Him at His word. He's about to believe that the Lord says the Lord will do. And God says, okay, Gideon, I'm going to test your faith. (laughs) I'm going to test your faith. In chapter 6, Gideon kept saying to God, show me, show me, God. Show me this, show me this. And God will show him again and again and again. And God was so gracious. God was so patient. And he kept on showing him. 
Now Gideon finally gets to trust in the Word of God and in the promise of God, and God says, okay, now it's your turn. Gideon, show me. (laughs) Now you show me that your faith is real. Now you show me if you can really practice what you believe. Now I want you to show me whether you really trust me. Now you can show me. How is God testing Gideon's faith? Well, you know, the poor guy was worried sick. There's only got 30,000-odd people, and he's he's facing about nearly 140,000 enemies. And God says, you got too many. You talk about testing of your faith. Lord, what do you mean I have too many? Lord, I don't understand why you want to drastically downsize my army. I don't understand this. Oh, God tells you why. I don't have to, you don't have to take it from me. It's at verse 3. God tells him why, actually. He says, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, oh, my hand saved me. Now, beloved, we live in a culture that is impressed with numbers. We live in a culture that is living on percentages and statistics. But faith is the victory, not statistics. Did you get that? The problem is that so many Christians are living by the statistics too. They're not living by God's mathematics. They're living by the world's mathematics. And Gideon's 32,000 with too many for God. He said, I can't use all these people. Send them home. Lord, they got nearly 140,000, and they got camels. And by the way, it's the first time camels ever been introduced in warfare in history. The foot soldier is no match to somebody on a camel so high up. And he looks at their weapons, looks at their machinery, and says, Lord, they have nuclear weapons. <laughs> God says, it makes no difference to me if they have a, a million-man army. It makes no difference to me. Let me ask you this. Why does God test our faith? Why does He test our faith in Him? Why does He test our faith in His promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us? Why does He test us? Two reasons. He wants to show us if our faith is real or manufactured. He wants to show us if our faith is just in words or it's in action. Words or deed. Secondly, He tests our faith so that He can strengthen our faith in order that we might fulfill His purpose in our life. Did you know that God tests our faith so that He can prove Himself to you? Did you know that? Gideon's 32,000 were too many. God couldn't use them. He said, I only want 300. Wait a minute, Lord, 300? 300? I may have flunked statistics in college, but I can even figure this one myself. This is less than 1% of what Gideon needed. I can even figure this one out. This is one to four hundred. What kind of odds are these? (laughs) Only God can work with these kinds of odds. Did you know that? Only God loves those kinds of odds. One to four hundred. Oh, but you see, less is more when God is in it. Can you say that with me? Less is more when God is in it. Faith is the victory and not the number. Please, put yourself in His shoes. 
you put yourself in his shoes, and this man, I mean, he, he got fire, he got double fleece, he's just about to trust, and God says, okay, you got too many, 400 to 1. God could have clicked his fingers and decimated the Midianites, right? Really, the Midianites were not God's problem. In fact, God was using the Midianites in order to chastise his own children. So the Midianites were not the problem. He could have done it without any. Not 300, not three, not one. He could have done it all by himself. But God longs for his people to learn to trust in him. God longs for His people to place complete trust in His promises. God longs for His people to humble themselves before Him and know that He is God and He will keep His promises no matter what. Beloved, listen to me. God's problem was the lack of faith of His people. That was His problem. And the same is in your life. The same in my life. Our lack of faith is the problem that God has with us. God can click His fingers and get all your prayers answered. He can meet all of your needs. He can click His fingers, and all of your problems will be over. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He could do that? But it is your faith that He wants to strengthen. It is your faith that He deeply is interested in. It is your faith that He longs for you to manifest. It is your faith that He wants to test. It is your faith that He loves and longs to see grow to the point of saying with Job, though He slays me, yet I will trust Him. Doubt sees the obstacle, but faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, but faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believe, and faith says, I. I know that everything in our culture trains us to grow up to be in control. You've got to be the control of you. You are the captain of your ship. And you're, I mean, you, look, you grow up with it. And that is why, moms and dads, we need to teach our children faith. We all like to be in control. I mean... Some, of course, more than others. But listen to me. (laughs) The greatest joy that we can have, the greatest power that is enduring, is the power of a surrendered faith to the living God. And that is why Paul could say, His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I boast in my weakness so that His strength will work in me. Listen, God is at His greatest when we are at our least. If you can explain it, God did not do it. This is the motto of this church, the motto of leading the way, everywhere. If I tell you it's my clever uh, planning, it is my strategy uh, brilliance, uh, it is this and it is that and it's the other thing, then God didn't do it. I did it. And God help us all <laughs> if I did it. I mean it. Gideon whittled them down from 32,000 by obeying the Word of God. God said, whittle them down. But you know that also what God said to Gideon here about whittling him down to 300 and the way he told him to do it is the same as he told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8. Here's what God said to Moses when he got into the battlefield, when he got into the... He said, 
What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him return to his house, lest the hearts of his brothers faint like his heart. Send the cowards home. That's what he's saying to him. God knew that pride after victory robs God of His glory. You see, in all my 35 years in the ordained ministry, I have seen people who have wept hot tears when they needed something from God. They cried to God, and the moment God met their need, they're gone. Take the credit for themselves. But you see, pride after victory robs God of His glory, and God is not very excited about that. And that is why God told him to whittle the number down. John Wesley said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I will shake the gates of hell. There is no greater power than the faith-filled individual, than the faith-filled small group of people, than the faith-filled minority. There is no greater power in the world than the faith-filled small number who are committed. Read the Bible. God always used the small numbers who were committed to Him, who had full faith in Him. Not the masses. When the spies went in, 12 of them. Just remember, it is the promised land (laughs) that God already promised them. And the spies go in. And two... Tiny minority, bring a minority report. Said, we can take them on by the power of God. And the other ten were trembling in their boots and said, no, 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 we can't do it. They're big, they're giants. I don't know what giants in your life that is scaring you. Listen to me. God is bigger than all of your problems right now. He just wants you to trust Him. He wants to develop your faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. See, it was not the 300 who defeated the 139,000. No, 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 no. It was God who took on the powerful Midianite army. It was God who took on the well-armed Midianites. It was God who took on that mighty plunderers. According to Deuteronomy 32, 30, all that Gideon really needed is 27. That's all he needed. Not 300, 27. He said, how did it come? Well, let me show you. This is God's formula for those who are faith-filled believers. All right? Here it is. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. He said one could chase a thousand, and two would chase 10,000 to flight. (laughs) All he needed is 27. Look at verse 7. God gives him yet another promise. Isn't that amazing? By the 300 men, I'll save you. Gideon's victory was in obeying of God's strategy. That's really the secret of his victory. He obeyed not his strategy, but God's strategy. Gideon's victory was in trusting of God's promises. Gideon's victory was in following God's directions, not his own. How did he do it? With superior military equipment? (laughs) Hardly, unless you call a jar, a torch, and a shofar. Very weird weapons. They really are, when you can think of it. Odd weapons for a war that's going to be fought with an enemy that outnumbers you 400 to 1. But here's the fact. You see, God already assured Gideon three times by fire, by wet fleece, by dry fleece. But obviously God knew that he needed another encouragement. So God graciously gives him a fourth one. Verse 9. 
He said, I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. My beloved Christian friend, listen to me. Our battle has already been won on the cross. Our victory has already been won. Now, they had to fight, but the battle has already won. And the same with us. Paul said, our fight is not against flesh and blood, and therefore we don't need 10 million to fight 10 million. <laughs> we don't need 10 fight 10. No, no, no. It's not against flesh and blood. Amen. But it's against the principalities and the power. It's a spiritual battle. And that battle has already been won on the cross. The enemy has been defeated. And the way you and I experience victory today is by obeying our victorious general. And yet God gives Gideon a fifth encouragement. It's a form of a dream by one of the men. I won't get into it, but the barley bread is really the food of the poor. And in the sense, God is saying, with, with the poorest of all, I'm going to give you the victory. And the moment Gideon hears the dream, he drops to his knees and worships God. He was so overwhelmed with the graciousness of God. He was so overwhelmed with the mercy of God and how patient he has been with him and how promise after promise after promise he falls on his knees and he begins to worship him. He goes on his face in submission. Beloved, listen to me. This is important. Some of you have a hard time worshiping. And I want to tell you today that worship is only the outward expression of an inward submission. And if you have a hard time worshiping the living God, examine yourself. Is there something inside of you that is refusing to bow to the will of God? It's like the kid who the teacher kept saying, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. He wouldn't sit down. Finally, she went in there and plonked him on the seat. And he said, you, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Now, there are Christians who are standing up on the inside, and that's why they can't worship. They have difficulty worshiping the Lord. If you can't bow the knees and worship the living God, it is because your will has not been to His. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the victory. And God renewed Gideon's faith. Look at verses 15 to 25. He gave him wisdom to prepare the army. He gave him courage to lead the army. He gave him an opportunity to even enlarge the army. But it was God who sent the terror in the camp of the Midianite and got them defeated. I want to tell you this story as I conclude. Back on Easter Sunday, you have to remember it's Easter Sunday. It's a very important date. Easter Sunday on 1799 where Bonaparte's army had seized and surrounded the Austrian town of Fieldkirk. And the people of the town were living in terror just from the sheer size of the French army that is besieging them. And the people of the town were living not just in terror, but they really forcing their leaders to surrender. And so as the town leaders have met together, took counsel of their fear, they decided it is better to surrender and wave the white flag than being destroyed. But then the bishop of the church suggested that they wait 24 hours, just wait for one day. He said, remember, this is the day of the resurrection of our divine King. 
we must celebrate at least one moment of triumph, and then we can surrender tomorrow. Let's just ring the bells of Easter. And so they did. They did it actually with a great deal of trepidation because they thought the French would really take revenge against them for doing that. But sure enough, as the sun rose over the mountains, the church bells began to ring, and soon the air was filled with the triumphant sound of resurrection victory. The French soldiers, being hedonistic, did not even know what day that was. They did not know it was Easter. (laughs) And so they were puzzled at the sound of the ringing of the bell, and Bonaparte's soldiers called a hasty meeting, and they decided that the only reason the townspeople could possibly celebrate and ring the bells like this was the arrival of the Austrian troops in the dark of night. And so even before the bells stopped ringing, the French forces began to retreat. My beloved, I want to tell you the battle is already won. Victory is already yours. It belongs to you. Your victory is part and parcel of your salvation. It's not just that when you come to Christ, receive Him as Savior, then you have to keep… No, no, no. It's all part and parcel. All you need to do is exercise faith and celebrate the victory. But then there may be somebody here or somebody's watching who really having a hard time and, and saying, where is God when I need Him? How come God had forsaken me? He hasn't. Maybe you have too many things in which you're trusting. Maybe you have too many people in which you're trusting. Maybe you have a lot of money in which you're trusting, a lot of possessions in which you're trusting. And God is trying to whittle those out so that you can have Him and Him alone to trust. Our Father, what a joy and what a privilege and what an honor to know that faith is a victory. Father, I pray for every person. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and move with power and great glory. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, strengthen the faith of those who are weak. Father, I pray that you would humble those who are proud. Father, I pray that above all that Jesus be glorified in this place, for it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.